All right, good morning and welcome to Black Consumer News of Arkansas Radio. Black Consumer News, news that empowers. We want to welcome you back, um, our listening audience, to this week's edition again of BCN. I'm your host, Angel Burke. I'm the BCN's Chief Creative Officer. And in the studio with me today, of course, is my co-host, Wesley Brown. Good morning, Wesley. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Wesley is BCM's publisher and executive editor, uh, and uh, he does a remarkable job of uh, keeping BCN on the forefront of all. Right. So we're so we're on the top of local news, state news, and more importantly, um, Wesley, sometimes it's national news. So make sure you make BCN your weekly read, as well as look out for our morning group that we send out every Monday morning, the Monday Morning Brew newsletter to keep you abreast of important financial, business, and public policy issues affecting you. If you haven't already signed up, go to bcn.com or blackconsumernews.com and again, make us your daily read. Uh, there's a lot of things going on around the nation. One one of our headlines we're going to be talking about is uh, Katanja Jackson. Um, uh, I think her nomination has now I think I know her a nomination has come out of committee and we're going to be talking about what to expect next with that. And on local news, we're going to be talking about Florence Price Day, uh, famous composer Florence Price, uh, which she actually uh, just, well, a Grammy was just won for one of her, her compositions, Symphony in E minor. So we're going to be talking about that and also the um, week birthday celebration uh, that's been going on and then culminating uh, this coming weekend on Saturday on April the 9th. So we're going to fill you in on all of that information as well. And also some other things that have been going around, going on in, in our community. Um, this past week, uh, I was a part of a community conversation talking about the violence here in, in Little Rock. Um, so uh, the mayor was there. Uh, the chief of police uh, was there as well. Well, and, and, and a lot of uh, committee, excuse me, community uh, people were there uh, speaking out and with their concerns and even some solution uh, looking at that as well. So um, we are going to get started. And but before we do, we want to welcome, let's welcome our special guest, uh, Latanya um, Austin Arnival uh, is here with us this morning as well. Good morning, Latanya. Good morning. Good morning, Angel. It is a pleasure to be with you this morning. Yeah, we thank you so much for being here. Um, Latanya is going to be talking to us about her her candidacy and um, talk about uh, with us how that's going, uh, some of her visions. Um, And actually, uh, Latanya, this is is your second go-round, correct? Actually, it's my third, Angel. It's your third go-round. Okay. Third time is a charm, they say yes, sometimes, right? I receive yes. it. Yeah. So, um, you know, you're, I, I can respect your resilience and we're going to be talking about that resilience and, and some of the things that you, that, um, you see, uh, for the future in, in our city, in our courts and, um, with our community as well. And again, feel free to chime in on our headline conversation, uh, cause everybody's voice is important. Absolutely. All right. Okay, Wes, we're going to start out the gate talking about the Florence Price event that's coming up um, April the 9th at Mosaic Templars Cultural Center from 6 p.m. until 7.30 p.m. 
I think it's past due time that uh, uh, Florence Price gets her due as a musical genius. She was, uh, while she was living here in Arkansas, just as, as a lot of times, uh, a lot of times we have to leave Arkansas to do well. And then, then uh, what is the, the Bible saying? A prophet is never honored in his hometown, basically. And, mm-hmm. and she didn't get that honor. But now that the rest of the world and the globe and internationally, she's getting international acclaim in communities all across the nation. And now because of the work of of uh, of our own Dunbar Historic Neighborhood Association, which Angel, you are the executive director there. Uh, she's finally getting recognition that she's due. Uh, I heard that you got uh, a greeting and a and a welcome from the governor that it's going to be heard at at the event. Uh, but but uh, it's going to be a great event just to hear the music. Uh, her uh, being a piano player, my my own and growing up uh, learning music, her symphonies are are magical. And uh, if if you haven't had the opportunity to listen to her music, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, Governor Hutchison did sign a proclamation uh, declaring Florence Price Day on November the 13th, 2021. And so prior to that, um, there was a book written about Florence Price, for those of that you who don't know, uh, called The Heart of a Woman. I would suggest that anyone uh, that haven't uh, hasn't read that book go out and get that book. And you can actually get that book over at Pyramid uh, Books and, and Custom Framing over off of uh, Wright Avenue. Our friend Gabor Hearn's uh, uh, place over there, bookstore, Pyramid Books, and uh, pick up that book today. It is a historical book is a historical history book of the Dunbar community, believe it or not, along with Florence Price's life. Uh, the book was written by Ray Linda Brown, and she does an extraordinary job of telling Florence's story as well as intertwining, obviously, the community where Florence grew up and, um, and she was cultivated. Um, and Florence was born in 1887 uh, uh, here in Little Rock. And she, she died in 1953 in Chicago. Um, Florence Price was a child prodigy at four years old. She played her first recital. She wrote her first composition at 11 years old. And then at 14, she graduated valedictorian from, from the only Black high school here in Little Rock at the time, Capitol View High School. Um, uh, she was accepted to the New England Conservatory that year. Uh, I think it was in 1902, I believe. And um, at 16, were her parents, uh, which by the way, her, her dad was the first Black dentist here in, in Little Rock. Uh, her parents decided that they wanted her to wait two more years. Uh, they thought she was too young to go uh, to the to, to the New England Conservatory. So she went at 16 and um, graduated with um, two degrees. And um, after graduating, she came back to Little Rock and taught at Shorter College. So there's a lot of historical history there. Um, uh, and 19... 27. Well, before then, let me just back up. I know, um, uh, Latanya, I know you're familiar with Stevens Elementary, correct? Absolutely. 
Okay, so Charlotte Stevens, who that elementary school is named after, she um, started teaching at the age of 13. I think she she taught well into her late 70s, 75, maybe even 80 years old. And uh, Charlotte Stevens actually taught Florence Price piano lessons. Wow. Uh, so how beautiful is that, right? Um, uh, uh, Florence Price also played the organ at Allison Presbyterian Church. Oh. And um, uh, and she also taught piano lessons uh, herself uh, in 1927, um, uh, right after the uh, John uh, Carter lynching, she um, decided to leave Little Rock and move to Chicago. She was 44 years old by then, though. And again, she, in my view, she was completely cultivated in the Dunbar Historic um, District. Uh, but she found her voice, I would say, when she got to Chicago during the Chicago Renaissance and uh, continued to write and um, and develop her music, obviously. And then um, in 1933, she won the Warner Baker Prize, which is one of the highest prizes that um, a composer could win. And um, uh, with that honor, uh, in 1934, Philander Smith College alumni uh, sent a letter asking her to come back to play a concert, right? And um, she she agreed. Uh, she wasn't quite sure she wanted to come back or not, but she did agree. She wanted to see friends and, and students that she had taught, and she decided to come back to play, and everyone attended, right? And uh, uh, Black and white people were, were all in attendance at the Dunbar High School then, but now Dunbar Magnet School. Uh, she played in the auditorium. So, uh, so again, another huge historical historical moment. And um, with her being a, uh, she was not only brilliant, but she was also a genius. Uh, she actually wrote um, four uh, symphonies, uh, and uh, which are all, as Wesley said, being honored, and she's being honored around the the entire country. Um, just this past week, her works won a Grammy, the Philadelphia um, Symphony. Uh, um, I'm not for sure who the composer is uh, or the conductor is for the for the Philadelphia Symphony, but I know that they did win a, a Grammy. So that is huge uh, news. And it, and it really means a lot to um, our community, it means a lot to our city. It, it means a lot to our nation to have such a, uh, you know, a, a, to have such a valuable person be in our midst. Mm -hmm. So we are celebrating her on her birthday, which is this coming Saturday, April the 9th at Mosaic Templars Cultural Center at 501 West 9th Street. Uh, rightfully so, 9th Street um, in its heyday was the Black the black district for us, uh, all of our um, restaurants and, and, and grocery stores and movie theaters and shoe, shoe shine parlors, everything was down on 9th Street. Yes. And, uh, yes. And then all those business owners lived in the Dunbar Historic District, uh, including John Bush. Uh, and um, I would think that because Mosaic was, was the anchored our community and was such a huge conglomerate as far as business was concerned, um, you know, one of the largest insurance companies for Black people <clears throat> started in 18, 
<clears throat> excuse me, 1884. And the building, I think Mosaic was built in 1913. And um, it had a publishing company inside of it, it had a hospital in there. And I say all that to say, I'm sure Florence was there at Mosaic Templars as well. <laughs> so, so, so this is this is uh, this is a wonderful um, opportunity, and it's going to be a wonderful um, event. Um, the Little Rock School District is involved. The students from MLK, um, <clears throat> Martin Luther King Elementary, as well as Gibbs Elementary and Dunbar uh, Magnet School, Middle Magnet, have all um, have been a part of an art and an essay contest and uh, portraits of Florence Price that they've, they've drawn. And then essay contests will all be presented um, at the event. Uh, on Saturday. So again, we're really hugely excited about this upcoming event and we want everyone to come out and learn even more information and also see all of the wonderful artwork that these students have done and listen to their essays about Florence Price. Uh, we have the man, I'm sorry, the, yeah, the man uh, magnet orchestra will be playing as well as Little Rock Central High's orchestra because we have to get our young people involved and in, in, in um, this historic history and um, someone that they can really say is a hometown girl, right? Yeah. I was <laughs> just going to say, I think it's awesome that um, the children are being taught this history and um and finding creative ways for them to learn and then express that history, you know, in their artwork, in their essays. I think it's super important that we keep history alive. And that's a wonderful way to do that is involving those children. So that's, that's awesome that so many student organizations have been invited to be involved um, in this wonderful event. I'm looking forward to it. That's going to be awesome. Yes, and, and you know, um, that keep history alive kind of resonated in my spirit when you said that, um, and you're absolutely right, keeping that history alive and sharing that history so other people can find, can find um, you know, uh, pride and, 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 and find value and, and appreciation uh, in, in someone else, and then you know, cultivating it that themselves and finding that same value and appreciation in themselves. Um, and especially, if, you know, for a person that looks like you yes. also. And so that's so, that's so important uh, for our young people to get the opportunity to see someone that looks like them and, and they can aspire to go higher. And I think that really is uh, and was her voice because, uh, you know, as a black woman, an African-American woman during that time, it was unheard of. I right. mean, women had no rights. And then it was, and, and to be a black female and a composer really mm -hmm. in a, in a, in a man's world, right? Um, uh, the well, you know, what's interesting, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. what's interesting, Angel, is that, um, you know, Florence wanted to be a doctor back then mm -hmm. and was initially married to an attorney. Ha ha, fun fact for me. Um, and so, but what's interesting is that um, history states that she did not pursue her dream of being a doctor because it was so difficult for women, let alone a Black woman, 
to be in the medical field um, as a doctor, but the path that she chose to be a composer, I mean, right, she's a trailblazer. Um, so she kicked the indoors her, of her own that um, will continue to resonate and, and to live on um, in our community and in other communities. So just the lasting effect that her work is, is having and will have um, on our local community, but in the world, internationally, I think is absolutely amazing. And it, it teaches it teaches the children and it also teaches us that, you know what? I'm a black woman, yes. Um, I come from a neighborhood that saw so much um, hatred and violence, but love and saw so much um, promise. And that promise is what is living on. And it says to folks who may be thinking, you know, that challenge or that obstacle is too much for me to try to overcome. Florence Price's life says, no, it's not. You can do it. Look at me um, and look at the things that that she's been able to accomplish. And so I think that's that's something that if we keep in the forefront, um, we'll, we'll continue to bless others and we'll motivate those who know about her story. I, I think you're absolutely right. And you're right. Uh, Florence wanted to be a doctor first, not a composer. She right. wanted to be a doctor, though her, her mom was a pianist as well. So her, her, her love for the piano, she, her mom was her really her first teacher. Okay. And so it was a part of, of, of her family. But again, like you said, uh, that was a, that was something that women were not allowed to do during that time. And so then she, she became a composer, uh, which again, like you said, we are grateful for her um, doing that for sure. Um, uh, speaking of Price, Price's husband, um, James Price, he was an attorney, and and I don't know if you know this fun fact or not, but he was in partnership with uh, Attorney Scipio Jones as well. No, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, no, I didn't think you do that one, but he he was actually uh, Florence met um, uh, Mr. Price when she was at Clark University. Um, when she left and left shorter, she went to teach at Clark and she met him there. And I think in 1912, they moved back mm -hmm. to Little Rock and lived on Cross Street. And um, uh, yeah, and so he was in partnership with Scipio Jones as well. So that just shows you the value and the close knit community um, that we had here in the city. Um, Dunbar was actually the first black community post-slavery. And so um, it's a wonder that 9th Street was thriving and its own Black Wall Street, really, uh, right. unlike many other cities around the country. But we can certainly be proud of that being Little Rockians. I don't know if that's a word or not <laughs> ourselves. So we can be proud of our, our own community. And, and, and um, while you were speaking, Latanya, I was thinking about you, you know, being a Black woman uh, uh, running for your position. And we're going to talk about that more uh, as well, but uh, also you giving uh, that uh, legacy or that living example to young people that you can, you can, uh, you know, pursue all sorts of careers, right? And right. Um, so we are proud of you as well. So we are talking about the upcoming Florence Price or Florence Price Day event that's going to be culminating um, on April the 9th from 6 p.m. until 7.30 at Mosaic Templars Cultural Center. 
And uh, again, it's going to be a proud moment uh, for everyone. It's, we have a, a beautiful program um, scheduled. Julia Buckman, uh, pianist out of, of uh, UCA, is going to be playing for us. Linda Holzer, uh, 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 professor of music at uh, UALR is going to be playing. We have songstress soprano um, Nashida Golden and baritone uh, Ron McDaniel, uh, who's a director over Mosaic, that's going to also be singing for us. And some other uh, wonderful things that are going to be going on. And so everyone needs to come out and enjoy. And also, more than anything, learn. Learn yeah. about our community learn about our ancestors local ones <laughs> and so <laughs> I, think, right. I think i think that's always uh an added plus and speaking of local um uh this uh this week um uh wesley and uh, latanya we were uh we had the community um conversation um uh, with the mayor and um several other uh panelists over at the um, second baptist church uh or first no, no, no. Yeah, Second Baptist Church downtown. Yeah, the Second Baptist yes. Church downtown. And um, uh, and like I said, the chief of the police was there as well. And just having a conversation about um, the violence that's going around in, in, this, in the city. And um, I know the chief expressed that any, any homicide uh, um, affects him truly. And really, if it affects us all. Uh, I know that I do not get a good feeling when I hear about people, um, uh, you know, homicides or murders being committed in our in our city, whether we we know the persons or not. And I'm finding more often than not, we are knowing people, and that is just that is just not a good thing. And then trying to figure out what are some solutions that we can, um, uh, or you know, come up with to make sure that. Uh, we're doing our part as citizens to help to uh, prevent um, these things, unfortunately, uh, from happening. Uh, I think e economic uh, prosperity is a big issue in, because a lot of these uh, the, uh, crimes, uh, homicides are in our communities uh, and uh, uh, they affect us. Like you said, I, I, there's a, at least three of the, the homicides that I know people on both sides of the issue. So uh, have counseled some, some of the young men that were involved in, 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 in one of the incidents. So uh, uh, those things uh, affect, like you said, there's no six degrees of separation. I think there's one degree of separation, you, especially in Arkansas where people are connected uh, no matter how. Uh, uh, and, 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 you know, I think also you have issues in the judicial system, and, and Latanya is, a, uh, I know she's going to talk a little bit later about addressing some of those issues that uh, that there's a a sense that that we don't get a fair shake uh, when it comes to entering the judicial system or enter the criminal justice system. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah some of the some of the things, yeah, some of the things that we talked about um, that night were. Uh, some of the things that came up was education, and that our young people are falling through the cracks. That they are move through school, they get to high school and they're reading on a sixth grade yet level and, and, and some aren't even graduating. So if you don't have the means to take care of yourself, like get a job, if you can't read or, or, or write, you're not gonna be able to get a job. So you're right, it becomes an economic situation. And so um, some of the things that were suggested was to make sure that, 
you know, these young people that we keep a closer eye out on their progress in, in school and making sure that, you know, if they are failing, that we get them up to par and by any means necessary. Because a lot of times, and especially with COVID, it has, it has shown, you know, it has reared its ugly head as far as our education is concerned with our young people, uh, not even logging on to the laptops to go to class. And so, um, so we know they're definitely not going to be graduating or, or have any interest in logging on if you can't read. Um, and you're going to find other things, other things to do besides trying to, to get an education. But it starts early on, um, you know, before they get to high school. I mean, someone should know if our children are, are, are actually um, failing. So that, those were one of the things that, that were talked about. I don't know if um, any, either of you have any comment on um, the education aspect as far as crime. Well, I think well, in terms... No, go ahead, Latanya. I was just going to say, I think in terms of literacy, um, it's, it's super important that we understand just how far-reaching that issue is because it's... It's, it's literacy functioning for our children, but it's also literacy functioning for our families that we have to make sure we're concerned about, right? Because if, if our children are going home and there is low literacy functioning in the home with those, those parents or guardians who are charged with taking care of those children, um, that's a trickle-down effect. And so mm-hmm. it begins to affect um, everyone, um, even with the virtual learning, you know, we're talking some basic things. And so learning how to navigate, even getting on virtually for learning, sometimes the parents and the students, their, their functioning level, it doesn't allow them to be able to access all that's available to them. Um, and so oftentimes you find people who kind of you know, dismiss it and and just don't be take a part in it because they don't want to admit that they need the help in order to take advantage of those virtual options or, um, you know, having to be forced to learn virtually as opposed to in person. And so it's, it's such a, the education piece not only affects the children, but it, it is a, it is a symptom of a larger problem in terms of general um, low literacy functioning. I sat on the board for the Adult Learning Alliance for uh, six years, and mm. that Adult Learning Alliance is responsible for disseminating um, general improvement funds from the legislature to local literacy councils across the state. And it focuses on adult literacy, and those numbers and percentages are alarming. And so education certainly plays a part in, um, you know, not having things to do, the, um, the socioeconomic factors that play into violence. It's just, it's, it's a spiral and it's a snowball that we must get a handle on if we are to address any of those issues. Wes, did you want to add anything to that? No, I, I just think, you know, the, the whole issue, uh, uh, I think it's a holistic issue. I think the pan- pandemic just exposed things that were already there from uh, from economic uh, issues to educational issues to health disparities to 
to is something that's as uh, uh, we don't even think about the lack of internet access is a is a big issue. Uh, 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 you, how can you be in a virtual world if you if you don't have a high speed internet? And that's yeah, you can't even you can't even log on to go to school, and we we saw mm-hmm. that happening a lot as well so, for so several those, weeks. For several weeks. So those issues, it's a holistic issues, and until we have a uh, have a mindset to where we're going to prevent things from happening uh, and not address things after things have happened, after the murders, after all the situations. Uh, uh, we we don't put a lot of funding or or discussion into preventing things before they happen. And I think that's uh, uh, our churches used to to be centrally involved. Uh, we don't have that 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 holistic investment from our churches where where I was taught. I was educated not only at school but also at church. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, we have to take go back to that holistic approach where uh, where our communities and uh, and every person, every child is important. And they the ideal of failing is just not. It shouldn't even be. There shouldn't even be a word in our school that says fail. It's, it's, be. it's yeah, it's not it's it's not acceptable at all. I was going to add to that, um, Latanya. You know, I was like, wait a minute, Latanya was at that meeting as well, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, and another thing that we talked about um, at that meeting when we talk about education. Uh, we think that education puts us on the track for further education, going to college after we graduate. But sometimes that track is not for all students. And so, um, uh, one of the things that one of the things that came up, uh, or was was talked about, I should say, is trade schools having trade schools for our, for these students to have some place, you know, uh, to go. If they're not on a, a, a track for college, they need to have a trade school that they, they can go to. And I know we talked about that, uh, Latanya and Wes. However, I don't know if we have any trade schools here in Little Rock. The closest things that I know that we have is Metro, but that's mm-hmm. high school. But after that, um, I don't think we have anything. Um, so what are your thoughts on trade schools, uh, Wesley and um I mean, I, I really don't. I mean, I think uh, obviously everybody's not going to go to go to college, but you should have uh, options. Uh, we we have. Uh, I think we went from trade schools to to more community colleges and for technical. Uh, uh, you know, there are a couple of technical colleges uh, uh, across the state, but uh, yeah, I, I think that that's the discussion that that. Uh, 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 you know, there's a, you know, up in Northwest Arkansas, uh, and, and my, I have a brother-in-law down in Hope. He's a welder. He didn't go to college, but he, he, he has a, that welding job. It allows him to, to have a, a, a good paying salary because there's always going to be a situation where he would have a job because of, of, of the manufacturing and, the, and 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 uh, college is not yeah and college is not for everyone and and that's what i don't think that's really cultivated in students anymore i mean even you know you know long before when they had wood shopping in in school and home economics in school so so those sources to skills if you have those skills they could have been cultivated in you, whether it's, you know, to be a plumber or an electrician, because obviously those things are still really needed um, today. 
Um, Latanya, did you have a comment on that? Absolutely. I, um, I'm, I'm a proponent of trade schools. Um, I was just talking actually to my daughter who is in college at FAMU, but I was explaining to her that um, I'm fully aware that college is not for everyone and we've got to find a way to capture. Now you raise a good point, um, Angel. We, we have um, Metro and that was going to be uh, my example or my only knowledge of anything close to a trade school would be Metro. Um, but after that, we don't really have as much. And even when you start getting into um, like the technical colleges, community colleges, um, there is still an element of an academic setting that doesn't necessarily work. And so then you still run into um, barriers, uh, for lack of a better word, in terms of being successful in those settings. And so, yes, I definitely think that uh, trade schools are necessary. And quite honestly, for a lot of people would be much more beneficial because as Wes said, I mean, we're going to always need welders. We're going to always need electricians, plumbers, um, you know, certified auto mechanics, those things we will always need. And I can tell you just from personal experience, I paid Mm -hmm. a whole lot of money to people who have operated in those trades, plumbing, um, uh, auto repair, um, welding, all of those things. And so um, we just need to make sure we get that in front of um, people so that they know those opportunities are available and and make it easier for them to take advantage of it. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and even, you know, look at having something here. I, I have been uh, indirectly kind of working with this gentleman by the name of Marshall Ray, who's um, actually trying to do just that, uh, bring the American College of Building Arts um, uh, working group here to Little Rock. And awesome. of course, funding right but it's got to you got to start someplace you got to you got to get the concept and the idea to people and uh, but I think it would be something that would be like you said greatly needed um, here in in our in our city uh, even around the state eventually but definitely in, in our city especially as we talk about violence because if people don't have a means to take care of themselves if they don't have money to feed themselves or their families, then they are going to find a way. And sometimes that way, most of the time that way is in in violence. So it involves the community. Everybody needs to be aware. Everybody needs to be a part of. I like that idea. What I'd like to see more of though Tanya, and I don't know if you agree with me on this, some flip trots in the room, some pencil and paper, you know, where we are actually writing things down, ideas, pinpointing them and, and, put, and putting them together. So um, we have probably about another um, 20 minutes um, to our show. And um, but before I, I like to switch gears now to some national news, uh, Latanya, that's going to kind of lead us to into into your uh, campaign um, uh, for a circuit judge. And and so um, we're going to talk about Katanja, uh, Katanja Jackson. I see you over there cheering. <laughs> right. Um, and I think her nomination just came out of committee in that right, Wesley. Yeah, and it it went straight to the Senate floor, and she won. Uh, she's now uh, 
has been confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court by a vote of 53 to 47. So uh, officially it's done. Uh, uh, Katanya Brown-Jackson is now the first black female uh, associate justice on the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, uh, it's historic in, in so many ways. And uh, uh, I know Latanya is cheering, but I have a niece who's a federal judge who's, who's up for uh, a pending uh, U.S. District Judge uh, nomination. It has to go through that same process. So uh, it's a, a great day for Black women, for Black people, and uh, for Black history. Congratulations to your uh, niece, Wesley. That's awesome. Yeah, that process is is a. Uh, I, I'm kind of embarrassed for the state of Arkansas and Tom Senator Tom Cotton, who who tried to uh, compare her work as a, a federal defender uh, uh, of of Guantanamo Bay uh, defendants as, as if something that she could have cho- chosen to do. Uh, those people are selected, uh, and you have to do it. It's part of your 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 role as a in the legal community. You don't have always get to pick what side you come from. As a, if you're a defender, you defend. You defend whoever's put in front of you, sometimes as a public or a federal defender. If you're a prosecutor, you prosecute cases. So uh, uh, Tom Cotton uh, made references that, that compared Katanja uh, Brown to, uh, to those who would defend Nazis. And, and I, I mean, that is the most ludicrous thing. It actually makes me very angry to hear that. Uh, it's not becoming of a U.S. senator, it's racist. Uh, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I, for people of Arkansas to vote for somebody like that is, is a despicable. It's, it's, uh, 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 we, we should be calling for Tom Cotton to resign from office. I will note this, um, you know, watching those hearings, it reminded me of, of somewhat of a joke that we have in the legal community where, um, you know, if you have the facts on your side, you argue the facts. If you have the law on your side, you argue the law. And if you have neither, then you just argue. And to me, that is what the confirmation hearings for um, Judge Brown reflected. There was nothing that really could impugn her character or to show that she was not qualified to sit on this land's highest court. And so there were just, I mean, there there were just things being pulled out to simply argue. They had no merit and they had no no substantive basis for uh, refusing to confirm her. So it's, to me, it was just, we're just gonna find something. And I think it's also important to note and it's been noted throughout this process that this was not her first go around. These things were not brought up uh, during previous confirmation hearings. And um, the thing I like about it, though, and I like to find positivity in, in whatever I can, the thing I love about it is her poise and the way that she handled those attacks. It just further reiterated the fact that she has the temperament and the posture to sit on the court and based on her experience, empowers her and enables her to be able to see things holistically, not just as a prosecutor, not just as a defense attorney, but 
in all of those respects, as well as having served as a judge. I think that's absolutely awesome. And I'm, I'm so excited about that confirmation. And um, that kind of leads us into your campaign um, as the Pulaski um, Circuit Judge. Um, I'd like for you just to take a moment. Um, first of all, uh, Latanya, a welcome again to Black Consumer News. Uh, and we are, we, we are grateful to, to have you on the show today. But I want you to take this time and kind of talk about exactly what this position, Pulaski County Circuit um, Court uh, in the 6th Judiciary District, uh, what that position entails, the area, what does it do? And then most importantly, kind of talk to people about why do you see yourself in this position? So the Pulaski County Circuit Court is the trial level of the um, judiciary. And it is where so many different cases originate. So we're talking felony criminal cases, divorce, custody, child support, paternity, guardianship, adoption, breach of contract, landlord, tenant, writ of execution, writ of possession. We're talking Mm -hmm. so many different things. And um, this position for the fifth division circuit court um, handles currently criminal cases and civil cases. Um, This seat is a part of a judicial sub-district. So it sits in the 6.16 sub-district, which uh, the historic Dunbar Neighborhood Association is right in the middle of that district. And so it's super important. And um, you know, other neighborhoods, the Wright Avenue, uh, the historic Wright Avenue Neighborhood Association, um, mm-hmm. the Central High Neighborhood Association. Um, it also covers parts of North Little Rock. So um, Dixie, Rixie, Dick Jeter, uh, Brush mm-hmm. Island. Um, it covers all of those areas. Um, the South End in Little Rock. It also picks up parts of Jacksonville and a very small piece of Sherwood um, and some other um, outlying areas, Wrightsville, Hensley, uh, Sweet Home, Higgins. Um, And so it's super important because that sub-district was created so that Black people Mm -hmm. would have the most and best opportunity to elect Black folks to the judiciary. That is super important because... um, and I, I don't know that a lot of people talk about it in these terms, but although the seat is voted on from a predominantly Black subdistrict, the jurisdiction of the court is over the entire county. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like um, it's kind of like House representatives or senators. So they're elected from a district, but their voice when they go to the legislature uh, to the legislature. It, it kind of affects the entire state, right? So it, that's, um, I liken the circuit court judges to that in terms of the decisions that are made and the jurisdiction that it covers. It covers everybody, even those who don't necessarily vote on that position. And mm-hmm. so the circuit court is super important. Um, and there are five circuit court judges who are elected from this subdistrict, and this is one of those five seats. There are seventeen total 
circuit mm-hmm. court judges in Pulaski County. And so you have five that are voted on from the predominantly black subdistrict mm-hmm. 6.1. And then you have 11 of the remaining 12 that are voted on from a predominantly white subdistrict. And then you have one of those circuit court seats that is voted on countywide. So everyone votes on that one seat. Uh, can you explain, and I, I know some of our listeners may not understand how, why, why there is the precedent uh, uh, that, that occurred that allowed more representation in the judiciary uh, for, uh, uh, for Black judges and, uh, and how that came to be? Yeah, so it was terribly difficult for um, Black lawyers to be elected to the judiciary. And um, there was a lawsuit that was filed. Um, the named plaintiff was Eugene Hunt. And the allegations were that Arkansas was violating the Voting Rights Act by not having um, districts and not having a way for Black folks to be elected to the judiciary. And this happened, I want to say around 1987, 88, somewhere around there, maybe even 1989, um, when that lawsuit was filed. And as a result of that lawsuit, the state of Arkansas consented or agreed that, yes, we're violating the Voting Rights Act as, as it currently stands. And so there was a, a consent decree. Uh, that decree included the statement that the state was violating the Voting Rights Act. And as a result of that agreement, they created these subdistricts and, um, and created five seats um, or basically carved out five seats that would be voted on from that predominantly Black subdistrict. And um, it's super important because it's it's important to understand even with redistricting right now and the litigation surrounding the redrawing of those lines it it's it's somewhat still here that issue and that that allegation that the state um is violating the voting rights act even 30 years later um from when that hunt decree was issued um that issue still looms and lingers and um, and it just kind of puts things in perspective in terms of, um, you know, where the judiciary um, is and is heading um, and where the state is heading as a whole in terms of um, litigation related to and involving the Voting Rights Act. Yeah. And then, and as she said, that that decree and any of the listeners want to, to do any research that is called the Hunt Decree. And, and, and uh, as you're right, it was. The case came up in the 80s, but I think where the federal courts made the uh, consent order in 1991. So it's only been, uh, what, that's only 30 years since that's been in place. So a bit over 30 years. So uh, I think it's important. And and I know you're running on the platform where uh, uh, equal representation. Uh, and that's really important, especially during the pandemic. <laughs> uh, anytime, it's important that, because a lot of times that's the last line of defense for, for a person to get justice. And uh, uh, the other thing, uh, 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 in, in your, you know, in your campaign, 
Uh, how is that going? Tell us how, how that, that campaign is going now. The campaign is going great. I mean, um, I love people. I love getting out to meet people and to share my vision and to share my platform and what I bring to the bench. And the beauty of it is, um, and Wes, you alluded to it. So my platform centers around equity. It centers around making sure that people who come before the bench, who come before judges and the judiciary um, are treated with fairness, that they are heard, that they are able to present their case and that the court looks at, the judge looks at all of the circumstances and factors uh, that can be taken into account to make sure that whatever the ruling is, is fair um, for the individuals that appear before the court. Um, I run on what I call a 3D platform. And that 3D platform is using judicial discretion to decrease the negative perception of the bench. And judges do that by making fair, swift, and equitable disposition of cases, right? Mm -hmm. So when people come before the bench, um, the judge takes into account, you know, what is this situation? So let's just say, for instance, it's a criminal case because Fifth Division currently hears a lot of criminal cases. Um, why is this person here? Uh, what charges are uh, filed against this individual? What are the circumstances surrounding the charge? Um, looking at some history of the individual, um, is there criminal history? Um, is there an element of, um, you know, being poor? Are there um, deficiencies in terms of um, what the individual, uh, the baggage, so to speak, that a person brings into court? Um, all of those things have to be taken into account. And, you know, you know, you can't have a, you know, a full history lesson on an individual, but that judicial discretion gives the judge the ability to take into account all of these different factors. You know, is there drug addiction? Is there, um, there's this uh, study that's out now called ACEs that is being uh, utilized more and more. Um, unfortunately, I haven't seen it used as much on the circuit court level. Um, I've started to use it, um, but it is adverse childhood experiences. And so we're talking about mental health. We're talking about uh, witnessing abuse in homes, being victims of abuse, um, and how those traumatic events and experiences impact an individual. And so that is something that is a tool that can be used that I will use if elected to this position to really do a deep dive into what is going to be fair and equitable to this person in this space at this time so that they um, receive the most fair treatment possible and that is what is going to begin to change the perception of the bench. That is what is going to begin to change the perspective of the system um, on a number of levels is making sure that 
When people come, they they feel safe in telling their story, but they leave feeling that though um, that they've been treated fairly, that they've been treated equitably, and not just equally. Let me make that distinction. Not that they've been treated equally, because being treated equally is akin to a cookie cutter approach, right? So you don't want, you know, I can't make a ruling um, for Angel Burt that would be fair necessarily to Wesley Brown because Angel Burt and her experiences and, and what she brings and what she's dealing with is different from what Wesley Brown brings and what he's experienced and what he's dealing with. And so equity dictates, it dictates that I take those circumstances and situations into account to make sure there is a fair ruling for Wesley and there is a fair ruling um, for Angel. And that requires having patience, uh, being diligent, being prepared, and being willing to listen. Wow, Latanya. Wow, that's a a, a great explanation. In, in my view, I think you've done a, a great job of uh, of breaking it down and, and giving the whole uh, a, a great picture of exactly how the Pulaski uh, circuit, um, um, and then also giving it um, a, a great vision of, of your own vision and how you think it should work uh, on behalf uh, of the people. Um, and that's always important to the people. Um, yes. And we have about three minutes left in the show. So um, what I'd like for you to take this time and just talk uh, and speak to our listening, listening audience uh, about who you are and, and perhaps why they should vote for you. Awesome. Thank you. So I'm from Little Rock. I was raised uh, in Southwest Little Rock, um, Angel you may remember this. Do you remember Sin City? I do. Yeah. Well, I spent the first year and a half. Uh, well, actually, so I moved back here when I was two. My family's from Brinkley. So I was born here. And my father was a civil rights leader and a Baptist pastor. Um, and he was involved in much litigation surrounding um, having to... Um, um, own property to run for the school board. And he filed a lawsuit alleging that that was unconstitutional, was successful. And so he passed away when I was two. So we moved to Sin City mm-hmm. and um, there was a Little Rock police officer who got shot in front of our door. And my mom said, we got to get out of here. So um, I moved still in Southwest Little Rock. So I grew up there. Um, and um, f- a, another fun fact or something you may not know about me so I went to Cloverdale Junior High School. Laverne Goldsby, who is still in the, in the educational system, was my counselor. But I got mm-hmm. expelled, Angel, um, oh. and had to petition the school board to get back into school um, again. And so that, that, that personal experience that I have um, in dealing with adversity and challenges, I bring that to the bench. You know, I didn't come from money. I didn't come from... Uh, wealth. I didn't come from a long line of politicians. Um, This is something that was birthed from my personal and professional experiences and the things that I've seen on the bench and practicing and advocating for clients and and trying to personalize my clients. You know, that, that 3D platform also is a play on words because I will make people humans 
I will allow them to be presented as humans, right? In, in three dimensions, not just a case number, not just a credit score, not just a criminal history score. And so, um, you know, graduating from Central, uh, a melting pot, as I call it, with rich, rich history, um, all of public service and personal accountability and professional excellence has been birthed in me. And I bring all of that to my campaign. I've shared that with my community experience and involvement. And so I'm asking you to make the honorable choice um, during election. Early voting is May 9th and May 24th mm-hmm. is election day. Um, and, and I'm just excited to share my vision. Well, thank you again, uh, Latanya, uh, for coming on Black Consumer News. Uh, we certainly appreciate it. And we want to wish you the best of luck. And you've been listening to Black Consumer News uh, Radio. We want you to tune in and join us next week from 11 a.m. until 12 noon here on KABF, the voice of the people. Thank you.